Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 21. Now, Paul's finishing this letter. And if you remember, there were some problems with the church in Ephesus, and particularly this idea of false teaching. The, the, these teachers, they were in, into ministry to make money. That was their goal. And, and so Paul's going to end this letter with this theme of treasure, the idea of treasure. And he's going to bring in two kind of concepts with treasure. One is what we call earthly treasure, the things of this world, earthly possessions, the, the money we have in the bank, the, the things that we own. And the other treasure will be what I'll call eternal treasure, particularly the Word of God and the gospel itself. So Paul's going to kind of hone in and focus. And, and what his, his goal is in this final section is to help, help Timothy understand not only where his heart is, but where the heart of his people are. If your heart is given over to the things of this world, then it's very hard to serve God with an open heart. If you have a heart and you understand the concept of stewardship, then you understand that everything that you are and everything that you have, it's a gift from God to you. And we get to be managers. We get to be stewards of the things that God has given us. And, and this is where Paul is going to drive this, this message this morning. As you live out your Christianity, you live it out on the basis of your relationship with Christ and also how you steward the things that He has given you to steward. And it's important for us as Christians to have the right attitude about treasure, both the treasures that we have in this life that are physical, but also godly treasure. And so this morning in Paul's message, he's going to talk about the right attitude of, of how to handle earthly and eternal treasure. Let's read the text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 21 it says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. O oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. So what should our attitude be? First of all, we'll look at earthly treasure. Paul begins with talking again about earthly treasure. Now, if you remember, we had talked earlier about the love of money, and so some of this may feel like a repeat. What Paul really is trying to drive this home because this is the area of the heart, if we're honest, and particularly, I think, in, in America, and particularly in Orange County, which is one of the richest counties in America. It's, it's very easy for us to be drawn into the love of things, and our heart can be given over to the deceitfulness, Paul says, of riches. So first, we're to have an attitude of humility and trust in God. When it comes to earthly riches, we're to be humble we're to trust that these things come from God and that we're to have our trust in Him and, and not in the stuff that we own. So Paul begins, he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Um, this idea of being conceited really has this idea of being prideful. And it's kind of a dangerous area when you make a lot of money, you start to think, I'm a pretty hot stuff, man. I'm doing pretty good. Look at, look at what I got. Look at what I did. And so what happens is the heart, as we start to make money, it can kind of start to lean that way, and we can start to become prideful. 
In the heart of a Christian, those of us that know Christ, God's opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. We understand that the stuff that we have, God has given us out of His grace, and, and He wants us to be a good steward with it. Hello. There I am. I'm back. Well, that was weird. Some people are given over to riches, and I think some people in the church there have been given over to riches because of these false teachers. And if you look up at verse 9, this is what Paul says. In chapter 6, verse 9, he says, But those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So there were people in the church, they, they had given themselves over to worldly wealth, and it plunged them into ruin. Their hearts is what he's talking about. They, their passion became the things that they owned. And so what Paul wants to do here, he, he's, he's warning Timothy on the attitude about riches, the proper attitude with earthly riches. And he says, watch out for pride. Watch out for being conceited. Watch out for your heart to be drawn into it. Now, conceited is a compound verb, and it means to think lofty, to be haughty, to exalt oneself up. And this is a constant temptation, I think, for those that have money. Proverbs 28, 11 says, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding, he sees right through him. Now, some of you might be saying, whew, at least I don't have to deal with this one. I mean, I don't have a fancy car. I don't have a big old house. I don't have a lot of money. I'm cool. Let me give you the definition of rich biblically. The definition of rich biblically means you have more than you need. In the eyes of God, if you have more than you need, you're rich. So I think in this setting, unless you're begging for bread last night, we have more than we need. And so this message is for us. It's for me. It's for you. Paul's speaking to everyone in the church, and he's saying, be careful of this one. Our heart leans towards pride when it comes to riches. 1 Timothy 6, 8, he says, If I have food and covering with these, I'll be content. Paul says in Philippians 4, 11, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever I am. Remember in the Bible that it, it says that there are a lot of people that were very wealthy. I mean, when you think of the Old Testament, there was a ton. You got Abraham, you got Job, you got Moses, you got David. You can just kind of put this whole list. They had a lot of money. Money isn't the issue. It's the heart. In the New Testament, you have someone like Lydia. She was a maker of purple fabric. She had a big enough house to house Paul and all his companions. You have a person like Philemon. He was a wealthy slave owner. They met in his house for church. The idea here is your attitude towards money. Do you think it's you? where you got that money, it's because of you that you're rich. It's also identity. Part of what happens is, is, is when we start to make it big and we start to, to get the funds and we get the house and the cars and the stuff and, and really the American, quote unquote, the American dream, right? When that all happens, we begin to think it's us and our identity can be kind of locked into the stuff that we own and our identity in Christ gets lost in that. He's saying, be careful. Be careful of pride. Now, listen to Proverbs 8, 18. It says, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who has given you the power to make wealth. Did you hear that? It is He who gives you that power. He's the one that gifted you to be able to do the job that you do. He's the one that brought you into the field that you're an expert or whatever you are. He's the one that is allowing you to make the money that you make, and all the glory goes to God. 
And when we begin to understand that as His stewards, it, makes it, it kind of frees us up. We're no longer locked in this. And then the area where our heart wants to lean towards pride, when we understand it's Him that gave it to us, we're able to fight against that. Now, not, not only is pride a danger, there's a second danger. And it says here they, they fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches instead of God. So that's a little different than pride. That means that your security, the things in this life, your hope is on the stuff again, and it's not on God. And I think this is an area that all of us struggle with. This is a, this is a reality. I mean, when the bills are due and you're short and all that and you're struggling, sometimes it's very difficult to trust in the Lord. And Paul is saying, warn the people, Timothy. Not only warn them about pride, but warn them about where their heart is and what they're hoping in. Is your hope in your money, is it in your bank account? Is it, is it in your IRA? Is it in your savings account? Is your hope really there? I mean, if I really pushed and, and poked, would you squeak money? Or would it be the Lord? And he's saying, hey, where is your hope? Look at verse 17. He says, instruct those who want to get rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Now, listen to Proverbs 24, verses 4 and 5. It says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from even considering it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, and like an eagle, it flies towards heaven. You ever experienced that? I mean, this past week, the market just tanked. What does that mean? If you're looking at the market, your wealth had wings, and it disappeared right before your eyes. If your focus is on that, if it's on your riches, man, you were bummed out. But if your focus is on God, then that's like, oh, well, the Lord has provided. The Lord will take care. I trust my hope. My hope is in the Lord. It's not an earthly treasure. It's not in the things of this world. I read an interesting poll done by the BBC in England on the seven deadly sins. That's anger, envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, and sloth. And there were two questions that they asked. They said, which sin have you ever committed and which sin have you committed in the past, past month? And plenty of Brits, they cop to being lazy, being proud, being envious, being angry, but seventh out of seven was greed. Now, we know that there are a ton of people into greed, into material wealth, but almost no one there said that they were greedy. The reason is, is greed hides itself in our own heart. We can't even see if we're greedy. That's an area of our lives. We say, no, that's not me. I was speaking to, to a, a man the other day, and, and I just kind of asked him the question. I said, you know, um, so tell me about if you stood before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? And he said, well, other than that I'm an alcoholic, he said, I'm pretty good. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. We always look at ourselves, I'm good. But particularly in this area of greed, he's saying, that's not me. But I want you to hear Jesus as he speaks the parable. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Luke 12, 16 through 21. This is the parable of a rich farmer. I want you to see his attitude. The attitude of the rich farmer here in Luke 12, verses 16 through 21. Here it is, Luke 12, 16. It says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19 says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now you will, you will own what you have, you will, hold on, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So you have this farmer, he had his hope fixed on earthly treasure. It wasn't fixed on God, and God says that he was not rich towards him. His heart was given over to the earthly wealth. It wasn't given over to God, and God says, you're a fool. You're a fool. You've given your heart over to the things of this world, and don't you understand that I'm the one that gives you everything? Our hope is to be fixed on God. And I think this is the reason so many American Christians are kind of, I don't know how to put it, but maybe they're just kind of apathetic about their faith. Because I've got the IRA, I've got the insurance, insurance accounts, I've got set up for retirement, I've got all that covered. I mean, who needs God? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I think we we're called to be wise stewards. I think you have a responsibility to your family. I think you should exactly, you know, store things, be, you know, good and saving and have all that stuff set up for the future. I think that's wise. But if your hope and your heart is into that stuff, you've missed it. And Jesus would say, you're a fool and we always need to remember that it's God who richly supplies us all things to enjoy, it says there. It's God who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. But some people, I think, if they really said, if I'm going to actually put my faith there, they get nervous because sometimes they think, well, maybe God doesn't have enough to really, you know, help me. I mean, maybe he's not going to be able to help me when I really need it. Do you understand that God owns everything? Everything. Psalm 50, 10 and through 12, God speaking says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all of it contains. We have a God who, who is not only very wealthy, everything is his. He's a very generous God and he cares for his own. And I don't know if you look at there, it says that he gives it and we're to enjoy it. That's right. The wealth that God gives, he actually wants us to enjoy. As his children, he gives us plenty. And he wants us to have this heart of saying, man, Lord, thank you so much. And then we get to spend it and use it. And all these things, we're to, we're to enjoy what God gives us. We're not to be stingy with it. But we're to say, Lord, how faithful you've been. Man, I'm going to enjoy it with my family. And, and I'm going to buy that burger today. And I'm going to be with my family and take them out to lunch after church. Wow, Lord, thank you so much. It's the heart attitude of enjoyment. We are called not to be proud, but to be humble. And we are called to have our trust, not in the things of this life, but in God. Now, I read a little article from John Orberg. He's a pastor and an author. And he said when he was trying to train his kids on how to handle money, he did an envelope system. And so he, he gave them four envelopes, one that said give, one that said save, one that said gifts, and one that said spend. And he said he thought it was working pretty good for his kids, but one day, his little six-year-old comes up to him, and he had a Band-Aid on his arm, and, and she said, Daddy, what's wrong? And he said, well, Daddy had to take a, a medical exam because Daddy got some insurance because Daddy loves the family so much that if anything was ever to happen in him and he was to die, but which he wouldn't, 
But if he was, then, then there's going to be $250,000. And, and the little girl just kind of stood there, and her eyes got really big. And, and then she kind of smiled, he said. And, and then he said she got kind of a devious and kind of greedy look, and she said, $250,000 a piece? And he said, I don't think that envelope system's working. Even at a young age, our heart, watch greed. It can lean towards the things of this world. But God says this, have an attitude of humility and trust in Him instead. That's the first thing. Second thing, when it comes to worldly treasure, have an attitude of generosity and good works. Since everything's the Lord's, it pleases Him when we're generous with what He gives us. Look at verses 18 and 19, it says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Those who are rich, he says, instruct them to do good. So the idea here is that if God has been faithful to you and if by the standard of the Bible you have more than you need, then you're rich, then he says, and you need to do good. That means you need to have this heart of doing good for others. Do good is the Greek word agatherio, and it, and it appears only here in the New Testament, and it means to do noble and excellent things. It means to go over and above to help others, to step out of your comfort zone and to get uncomfortable to help others, to, to do good for others. And then he kind of banks it with to be rich in good works. So it's the idea... It's one thing to be rich in your bank account, but it's another thing to be rich for God, to be rich in good works, to, to do things that, that honors the Lord. And, and when you do something, that I, idea of being rich means abounding or abundantly, that you do more than expected. And then it's in Jesus' name. It's for Him, it's for His glory that, that you do something because you want to honor the Lord with it. Now, Paul has already said that the believers here in this church in 1 Timothy, that, that they were to help support needy widows. They were to help support needy families. They were to help support the, the leaders in the church. And Acts tells us that we're to support all believers in need. And Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. It pleases the Lord when, when we just step out and begin to help others. And, and not only with the resources that we have, but also with our energy and our time that that we're willing to step into places where others don't step. And, and this is why when you see a disaster hit, oftentimes it's the Christians that are first on the scene, right? Because we, ha we understand this principle, that we're to do good for others, that our Lord, our God has been so good to us, and, and we need to do the same for others. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's the way we're made because He, His Spirit is in us, and we want to help others. You know, I was with a friend the other day, and we were having lunch, and a military man came and sat down next to him, and my friend just tapped him on the shoulder and he said, hey, thank you for your service. And then as we were eating lunch, my friend called the waitress over and he said, I want to pick up his tab. I just want to pay for his meal, if you don't mind. And so the waitress kind of slipped his ticket to us and my friend went and paid the meal. That's being generous. He's, he, he's doing good works. He's, he's helping somebody else because that's what it says here. It says, be generous and ready to share in verse 18. Um, Generous means sharing what one owns. It's, it's gladly giving uh, a portion of what you have to someone else. It's a, it's a willingness to, to, if you will, give something beyond maybe what you would normally give. Now, the Bible kind of points what generosity is, and Paul particularly 
when he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he begins to almost boast about the church in Macedonia. Let me read to you what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, it overflowed in wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. What Paul is saying is, you know, those churches in Macedonia, they're the poorest of the poor, but man, were they generous because they gave out of their need and beyond their need. Why? They begged us that they could just be a part to help the other saints in need. Guys, that's a generous heart. That's a willingness to go beyond your, your set-aside portion. It's being generous over and above. It's a heart that says, Lord, it's all yours. I, my hands are open. And I know I need to take care of my family. I have those responsibilities, but God, the extras, man, just tell me what to do because it's yours, and I just want to be generous with it. It's that kind of a heart. And the word share there has the idea of fellowship. It's the idea, and this is the one I think that hits us here in America, particularly I think in Orange County. You share yourself. Now, it's one thing to share money, right? I'll pay for his bill. But it's another thing to say, man, I'm going to give my time. Isn't time more valuable sometimes than money? Have you noticed that? I've noticed it. Sometimes I feel so overloaded and busy that to give time, I'm like, man, I'll pay 100 bucks. I don't have to do that. Why? Because the time is valuable to me. He's saying be generous with it. Here's an idea. On Sunday night, we have a group called Anchored. It's college kids. We need adults in there to share time with them, just to be a mentor, an adult, somebody that they could talk to on, a, on an adult level. It's two hours on a Sunday night. And then on a Thursday, give another two hours. Wow, four hours a week. That would be generous for people like us, wouldn't it? He's saying, be that person. We have a prayer ministry on Thursday nights. If there's any ministry that happens here with the move of the Spirit, it happens because we're begging God. It happens in prayer. One hour a week. That's being generous with your time being willing to come in and say, you know, Lord, I, I, I give money, but I'm going to give my time. I'm going to seek you. Being generous, being willing to give back. Prayer warriors for the Lord. Has God been generous to you? Have you found the Lord faithful? If God has been generous to you, it's, the idea here is you be generous to others. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, I'm going to call this family talk. This is for the church, those of you that are committed to Calvary Chapel. The idea of being generous is that you give above the minimum. You give above the minimum. Now, what's the minimum? The minimum is a tithe. It really is. When you look at Scripture, the minimum is just, that's your first fruit. It's just saying, Lord, you've given me everything, and you've, you've asked me to give back my tithe. That's the minimum. Above that is being generous. The question is, are you even given the minimum? Now, the sad part about the American church is 5% of the people in church tithe. That's the average. And honestly, I don't know the average in our church. The question here that Paul is driving is the heart. Is that your heart? Are you generous? Do you see that God has given you everything? And, and so you just naturally say, well, I'll just give back the minimum portion because I love him, and that's my first fruit to the Lord. And Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. And then you say, but Lord, everything else is yours too. And I have my responsibilities here. And then Lord, this extra, man, I just want to give freely because it's, it's from you.
And when you're generous, there's a benefit. Look at verse 19. It says, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they make, may take hold of that which is life indeed. Storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for a future. Storing up is the Greek word apotheserio, and it means amassing a treasure. And then foundation is another Greek word called thelimas, and it refers to a savings fund. He's saying that when you are generous, you have a savings fund in heaven. That when you give, God gives. And I think God is the kind of generous God that he gives over and above what you gave. So whenever you're generous for the Lord's sake, in Jesus' name, God is so generous to you. And when you get to heaven, there's a savings fund. You got an IRA in heaven. You got this account somehow. I'm not always sure how that all works, but he's saying, when we give freely for the Lord's sake, because we love him, we see it's all for him. He's calling us to steward and we're just kind of open hands with what God has. He sees what we do. And it's the wise man that does that. Now, Jesus put it like this in Matthew 6, 19, Matthew 8, 19, excuse me. Eight, uh, Matthew 8, 19 through 24. Actually, I think it's Matthew 6, 19 through 24. It says this. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves break in or steal. Because no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, this idea of the heart. And again, again it's, you can't serve money and then be generous towards God. But if you're generous towards God because your heart is towards God, then you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. heaven. But the person whose heart is given over to the things of this world, if your heart is just given to these things and, and you really don't think much that this is the Lord's work, then this is who you are, that, that Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, 6, it says that she gave herself to wanton pleasure and she's dead even while she lives. The person that's given themselves over to just this life, the Bible says that they're maybe breathing, but they're basically dead in terms of their heart towards God. You know, in January 2013, a team of dental hygiene experts and a bunch of design gurus in Germany, they got together and they wanted to revolutionize the toothbrush. And the resulting product is a $4,300 titanium toothbrush. And if you go to the company's website, you'll hear this deep voice. We should have John do this. This is what he said. He says, the undultating curves of the sleek and slender body, it encompasses elegance. A unique design, German precision engineering, a decisively lightweight, full titanium body, which has unparalleled durable strength. The accomplished silhouette captures the elegance and the timelessness where beauty and functionality and utility, they complement each other. A timeless luxury is now available to you. It's the titanium toothbrush for $4,300. Now, the entry-level premium package, it includes an everlasting titanium toothbrush of the color of your choice, one titanium toothbrush holder with an anti-slip pad. It has a bumper, and they have what they call a fresh service, and every six months for three years, you get six bristle heads, either soft or medium, your choice, and for only 540 bucks, you can have it personally engraved. But keep in mind, after the three-year premium package, you have to start paying 100 bucks a year to keep this toothbrush running. Or 
Another option. Go to your local drugstore, spend five bucks, get a toothbrush and be rich towards God. Right? Now some of you might be saying, well, Pastor Rob, are you telling me that I can't enjoy the things that God has given me and if I do enjoy it, then I'm in sin? No, what I'm saying is where's your heart? Because God has already been generous to everyone in this room and we know it, that he's been generous. The heart is, man, I want one of those toothbrushes. Somebody here is saying, man, that sounds cool. <laughs> I want to find that website. Have a heart towards God. Be generous towards God. That's, that's the point. Have an attitude of humility and trust in God. Have an attitude of generosity and good works. And, and now what Paul does is he shifts and he begins to talk now about heavenly treasure, eternal treasure. So what do we do with heavenly treasure? Have an attitude of guarding the truth and avoiding lies. As Christians, we've been entrusted with something that's far more valuable than earthly treasure. And what Paul says to Timothy through the Holy Spirit is we need to guard it. We need to keep it safe. We need to preach it. Now look at verses 20 and 21. It says, O Timothy, guard has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith, grace be with you. So he says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. So what Paul's doing now, these are the last few words of this letter, and he's kind of tying a bow on this thought. Timothy, there's one way to handle earthly treasure, but you have a treasure that's much more valuable. And and that word guard is the Greek word palasso, and it means keeping valuables in a safe place. It's, it's the idea that somebody has given you something very valuable and you're supposed to protect it. It's, it's like you're the bank. You're the one that's responsible for it. What this is, is the truth of the scriptures and particularly the gospel message. That's what this treasure is that Paul's talking about here. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I urge you upon my departure to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Then Paul in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want you to preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For there's going to come a time where they will not endure sound doctrine, but they're going to want to have their ears tickled. And they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and they're going to turn to myths. And then he goes on in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.8, and he says, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and me, his prisoner, but join with me, here it is, in suffering for the gospel according to God. That is the valuable treasure that God has given us. He has given you and he's given me the everlasting word of God. And this is more valuable than you'll ever know. You've been given a trust now, it was entrusted to Paul to keep it safe. Now, if you remember, Paul's going down the road. Of, he's going down to Damascus. He's going to kill Christians. That's his whole heart. He's after Christians, and then we know the story. Jesus meets them head on, right? And in a blinding light, he's blinded, knocked to the ground. And then he ends up in a bed blinded. And Jesus speaks to someone by the name of Ananias to go speak to Paul, to tell him what he's been entrusted with. Listen to what Jesus tells Ananias. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he being Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. 
Now, he goes and he shares with, with Paul this call on his life. He's been entrusted with the gospel. Now, Paul doesn't wait very long. As a matter of fact, in verses 19 and 20, listen to what it says. It says, he took food and he was strengthened. And now after several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And verse 20 says, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. Right away, Paul's entrusted with this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This truth that, that God himself came in the flesh. That he lived the perfect life that you and I can't live. That he is that substitute that we need. That he willingly went to the cross. And as he's on the cross, he pays for your sins. And then he rose again, guaranteeing us eternal life. That gospel message we've been entrusted with. You've been entrusted with it. I've been entrusted with it. This church has been entrusted with the truth of the gospel. And this is why Peter says in Acts chapter 4 that there's salvation in no one else. He says that there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. This is why Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen to Jesus' words. Jesus says this in John 6, 40. He says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. That is the message. The gospel message is the power of God unto salvation. It is the most valuable thing we have. It's far, far more valuable than earthly riches. And what we don't realize is sometimes we don't even think about it. That Bible that you have in your laps, that you hold in your hands, has been paid for by the blood of the saints and by the blood of our Lord. It is precious in God's sight. And it is truly the word of God. And so what he's saying here, he's saying, guard it, Timothy. Protect it. Because there are those out there that want to change it. They want to reinterpret it to fit their culture. We have people that want to reinterpret it to fit our culture. They want this book to say things that are not true. Timothy, you stand your ground, you guard it, and you preach it. You preach the truth, Timothy. I have a mandate, a trust that's put on me as your pastor that I'm to preach this word in truth. You have a mandate by God that you're called to be a Berean. You're to listen to the word. You're to go back and you're to look at the word. Did he preach it right? Oh, good, he did. We have a trust. God has given each of us a trust and it's a very serious thing. So he tells, he tells him, guard this. And then he says, but you're also supposed to avoid. What are we supposed to avoid? Look, verse 20. Worldly and empty chatter. Arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Avoiding is the Greek word trepo, and it basically means to turn away, to not pay attention to, not to listen to it. We're to avoid worldly and empty chatter, things that just, you know, really? You want me to believe that? It's just, it's like, I call it hot air. People saying things that don't make sense, and empty chatter could be useless, vain arguments that lead to ungodliness. Now, Paul says this in 1 Timothy at the very end, but he also tells it to Timothy again in 2 Timothy. I want you to hear this because I like the way he puts it here. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses, uh, chapter 2, uh, yeah, chapter 2, verse 16, he says, avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Worldly and empty chatter, when we decide to start listening to it, if you listen to it, it just kind of spreads in your heart like gangrene. That's when you give yourself over to 
to secular media. That's when you start listening to you know, friends and family that don't know Christ and, and you start listening to them, worldly and empty chatter, and you start believing it and you get away from the word of God and you start listening to that instead and next thing you know, you start to think like them and start to act like them and, and you begin to, to be like them. He's saying avoid that, Timothy, because if you don't, it's going to bring you into further ungodliness. As a matter of fact, it's going to spread in your heart like gangrene. It's like poison in your system. And my concern for us as a church is there might be some of you, you're there. You're already distant. I mean, you actually weighed whether or not you should come to church this morning. You're like, well, I don't know. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're right. Your, your heart is like weighing out. I mean, should I be in God's house and worship on the Lord's day or, or should I stay home and watch a movie and hang out? That's a person whose heart's beginning to grow distant that you really don't spend time in God's word anymore. It's a, it's a distant memory. But you listen to, hey, Fox News, and I'm into this, and I'm reading all the articles, and yeah, I hang out with my friends. They don't know the Lord, but it's okay. Yeah, they're cool. And you're drifting. And it's good to be in the world, but not of the world. Or to be lights in a dark place. Your flesh is telling you one thing, but your spirit is telling you something else. Because what happens is, is what those things are sharing, if you look at verse 20, it says opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. It's not godly knowledge. The opposing arguments is the Greek word antithesis, and it's a technical term that means a counterproposition in a debate. It means something that goes against the truth. And so Timothy says, avoid those things. And I'd like you to turn to, to the book of Psalms, because this is the man who's caught up into worldly and empty chatter. I want, to, I want you to see what it looks like on Scripture. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Psalms 1, 1 through The psalmist writes, he says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, and nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Now, I want you to see the progression there in verse 1. First, you have a person, he's listening to the, these worldly empty chatter. He's got friends and family that are speaking into his life. He's kind of gotten away from the word of God. And, and it says there that the person that's, that's blessed does not walk, but the person that isn't, they do walk. They take counsel with these people. They're on the wrong road. Secondly, they begin to hang out with the person. They begin to spend time with them, listening to them, and maybe conversing with them, hanging out. They're standing with them now. Some things they agree with now. They used to not agree, but now they do agree. They're kind of with them. But third, this is the scary one. It says they're seated with the scoffer, the liar. They're a part of. They've become part of the world again. But guys, we're called to delight in the word of God. We're to meditate on it day and night. It is food for us. It is a guard for us. It protects us. The Bible would say that those that would listen to worldly and empty chatter is foolish. You're a fool if you do that. But if you're, if you're into the word of God, if your heart's given over to the word of God, it's a safe place for you. And those that give themselves over to that, look at verse 21 back in 1 Timothy. 
It says, which some have professed and thus have gone astray from the faith. This is what broke Paul's heart, and this is what was breaking Timothy's heart. That there were people that were so close to the kingdom of God, they were in church, they were listening to the true gospel, and they got pulled aside before they received Christ, and they started listening to vain, worldly chatter. They think they're in. They're going to church to listen to the stuff of these false teachers. Hey, I'm in church. That's cool. But on the day when judgment comes, you're going to hear Jesus say this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. I mean, didn't we prophesy in your name? And, 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 and didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do miracles in your name? And he will say, away from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. They listened to it. They got pulled away from it. And they're not in the kingdom of God. We need to guard the word. And we need to avoid the stuff of the world. The reason is, is that this book is valuable. And Proverbs 19.10 puts it like this. It said that it's more desirable than gold, fine gold. And that it's sweeter than the honeycomb. And so if you think about a person... In Proverbs, it's probably written, you know, six, seven hundred years before the first century. Gold was the most valuable thing in that day. And fine gold, that was like, thumbs up. He's saying that the word of God is more valuable than that. And he's saying it's sweeter than honey. The sweetest delicacy in that day would have been honey. He's saying, this is sweet. It is the best thing. Have you ever given something valuable to somebody to care for? You know, when my wife and I first got married... Her aunt gave her a valuable antique ring, and we took it to a jeweler. <clears throat> now, it wasn't an official appraisal, but the jeweler said, I think this ring is probably worth about $6,000. And we were like, wow. I mean, we had nothing, so 6000 bucks was a lot of money. And so, but we wanted to get an official appraisal. And so my, my sister, her husband, his, his family owned a jewelry shop, and they, they were certified jewelers, and they could give an official appraisal to this ring. And so we gave it to my sister, to send to them to have it appraised. What we didn't know is the next day they were having a garage sale. She put it on her dresser and her husband came, pulled it off with all the costume jewelry. They sold it for a buck. They didn't guard the deposit. You get it? To us, it was immensely valuable. To her, to him, it was a piece of junk. Guard it. Guard this deposit because it's worth a heck of a lot more than gold. It is the sweetest thing you have. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the word of God and the truth of the scriptures. Father, I thank you for the book of 1 Timothy, how it instructs us, and it, it calls us higher, Lord. It calls us to be men and women of God not only by name, but in action. So I pray now for our church and everyone here, Lord, that by your spirit, you will help us, Lord, to be a reflection of you to our friends, to our family. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, please.